Hayes. Democrat Laura Curran, the first woman elected county executive on Long Island, breaking a glass ceiling and vowing to break with the past. Laura Curran joining us alive. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran. Entertaining and informative. Thought-provoking conversations that get right to the point. Observers say her future is bright. Here to tell us more about it, Laura Curran. Now here's Laura Curran. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cut to the Chase. Uh, You can always listen to us, as Roger Stone pointed out. On our app, you can download the app, put us in your pocket, take us on the go. You can listen to us at wabcradio.com. And we got an action-packed show. If we have time at the end, I want to hear from you, dear listeners. The number is 800-848-9222, 800-848-WABC. So it's appropriate that we're going to be talking politics, uh, specifically the presidential uh, Republican race for the nomination with Phil Wegman from Real Real Clear Politics in just a second. And there's a lot of crypto news this week, and we're going to speak with child actor turned crypto billionaire Brock Pierce about why he is still bullish on crypto after all of the news. And I also, we're going to have a great conversation about London. I was just in London, and it's really like on the top of its game right now, especially when you compare it to New York. I know Sid Rosenberg's been talking about that in the morning. I went for a party. It was amazing. I had such a great time. Uh, So I'm going to speak with a couple of travel journalists, English, uh, about how to talk about climate without losing your mind. And lose friends <laughs> and losing friends. But first, before we get all to, to all that, this is a great follow for Roger Stone's newsmaking interview with former President Donald Trump. It's Phil Wegman. He's a political reporter with Real Clear Politics, and he's been on the hustings in Iowa and New Hampshire covering the race, covering all of the candidates who've been out there trying to make trying to break through the clutter of all the crazy media and what's happening with the indictments and all of this. I mean, Trump is really dominating the news right now as well as dominating the race. Uh, so these are all clamoring for attention. And uh, I'm really excited to bring Phil on. He's come on before. He's a great guest. Phil, welcome back to Cut to the Chase. Hey, thanks for having me. So you've been in Iowa and New Hampshire. And one thing, you know, I've been reading your stuff. It's really interesting. Something that Donald Trump just said, of course, he is attacking DeSanctimonious, Ron DeSantis, uh, because, <laughs> who's, who's, you know, not exactly at his heels. I think it's, uh, it's still very much uh, Trump in the lead. The latest poll from CBS has Trump at 61 percent of primary voters, DeSantis at 23 percent. So that's a, a 38-point delta. That's huge. But Donald Trump actually went after Casey DeSantis, the lovely, a lot of people say, and sort of perhaps more charming than her husband, spouse of Ron DeSantis. He says, oh, the wife of DeSantis hates Trump more than anyone else. Why do you think he's going after the wife? Well, so I am surprised to hear that. I was uh, on the motorcycle before the interview, rushing to get here in time. And I am absolutely surprised to see the former president go after the first lady of Florida, not because it's out of character, but because there seems to be a real following for Casey DeSantis. When I'm in Iowa or New Hampshire, the best part of his speech, and this is no knock on DeSantis or any of his fans who like him, 
the best part of his speech is when he brings up Casey DeSantis. Right. And she doesn't talk from a script. Or if she does, she's just that good and you can't tell. Instead, she talks about their kids, about what they're doing, and um, really presents this image of um, not just the governor who is trying to achieve on his goals, but the entire family. So the fact that Trump seems to be going after Casey DeSantis, I don't know, maybe he saw something before the interview, maybe something got underneath his skin, but um, it's clear he's only going after the Florida governor. He's going after the Florida governor's wife now as well, Um, but he's only really going after him because he's the only one who he sees as competition. I mean, he was even welcoming other candidates into the race, Um, Senator Tim Scott, for instance, Mm -hmm. because right now Donald Trump is looking at the same numbers that all of us are, and he realizes that he's up over DeSantis by 30 points. All he has to do is keep the rest of the field sort of bickering amongst themselves Mm -hmm. and he'll skate to the nomination. That's right. You know, Tim Scott's at 4%. Nikki Haley's at 3%. Everyone else, Vivek Ramaswamy, Chris Christie, they're all at 1%. So he's targeting DeSantis. I keep wanting to say DeSanctimonious. DeSantis. (laughs) And now his wife, because as you say, his wife is delightful. Uh, When you saw Mm. her live and in person, did you get a sense of her strong connective tissue with the audience? Do people like her? Do they light up in a way that they don't when her husband is speaking? So she definitely brings the heart and yeah. he brings sort of the analytical, this is what I'm going to do. And for a lot of these primary voters in early states like New Hampshire and Iowa, they absolutely want to hear details. Uh, of course, it's about personality to a certain extent. But uh, I heard from voters that they were disappointed that Trump didn't deliver on his promises of a border wall or that he didn't do enough on the administrative state. And and DeSantis certainly played into that. But it was Casey DeSantis who's up there making jokes about the kids, yeah. uh, talking about how, you know, the governor has a bad habit of getting home late and bringing, um, you know, ice cream and candy with him as the kids are supposed to be going to bed. Right. Um, she's the one who is a charm offensive. And, um, yeah, she's, she's pretty nice and she seems approachable. And here's, here's the thing that kind of struck me when I was in Iowa last time, like they had brought their kids to, uh, roast and ride at this event that Senator Joni Ernst puts on. And yeah, where they roast pigs and ride Harleys. (laughs) (laughs) And when, when they were there with the kids, like, yes, they knew they were doing a campaign stop and yes, um, the governor was taking photographs and, um, sending autographs. But they were really focused on their kids. And that's not something that you see uh, from the, the mm. rest of the field. No, no knock on them. But, you know, they wanted to get the kids ice cream. They wanted to, you know, make sure that they got a chance to, you know, play in the bounce castle that was there. Um, I don't think it's all an act. So it, they were not using child as prop, as political prop. That's actually quite refreshing to hear because I I always make it makes me sad when I see the kids being sort of carted out to show Look how great I am. Look what a wonderful dad I am or what a real mom I am. And it just just feels like BS. So it sounds like mm-hmm. what you're saying is a little different from that. Yeah. And, and one of the toddlers, I, I don't have their names um, offhand, but one of the toddlers was like, I, I don't want to do this. I want to go get ice cream right now. <laughs> it was kind of interesting to see uh, DeSantis, this person who has driven headlines for so long at the whims of a three or four year old who wanted ice cream very quickly. Yeah. And uh, he definitely complied. But but look, I think that, um, you know, DeSantis is going to pull out all the stops, yeah. whether it is playing up the fact that he's a family man, whether it is talking about the failings of the previous administration. He's going to do everything he can to make certain that this is a contest 
not a coronation. And that's why I'm so fascinated with the current indictment, because it made what, happened, what came out of Manhattan last time look like child's play. And it was child's play. And a lot, you know, a lot of Democrats are saying that it just was it's just seemed so political, whereas this uh, will it. But but the thing is, will it be different for for people who are Trump's base? They are very, very loyal. Thing that I mm-hmm. found very interesting and you got to see this up close was how the candidates calibrate their message and their positions around Trump. He is he is top of mind for everyone when they talk. The only ones who are really calling him out are Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson. Even Mike Pence, not he sort of minces around a little bit. Those are the only two who sort of have the cojones to go all in anti-Trump. Uh, what, I, would, I would agree with you 100%, except for this last week with, with Pence's announcement. Suddenly, Pence pulled out all the stops. He did, he but then he pulled about, them back in again. That's true. That's true. He sort of recalibrated. And I think yeah, a lot I, of the never Trump Republicans, because I listened to, to a lot of those people, were like, thank God he's finally saying it. And then he had to, he sort of undid it, almost like he didn't have the courage mm-hmm. of his convictions. Like the emperor has no clothes. Oh, wait a minute. He does. Yeah. And you've got to ask yourself, like, who is the primary audience? If Bill Crystal was king for a day, um, who would he nominate as the Republican? Asa uh, Hutchinson. Probably, yeah. right? Um, or maybe even a Democrat. Some of those uh, those never-Trump guys certainly don't like their party anymore. But um, the dynamic here is so strange. Like, <sighs> I, I, when you listen to these guys' stump speeches, obviously they want to make an affirmative case for themselves. They don't want to just go on the offense. But you kind of have to push them even to get some mild differences between them. You know, one by one, I asked Pence, Nikki Haley, Mm -hmm. Tim Scott, Vivek Ramaswamy, Mm -hmm. what their big differences were on policy. And even that was a little bit like pulling teeth. Really? Um, When I pressed DeSantis on a comment of the president previously where he said that he no longer liked the term woke. Well, then, you know, DeSantis kind of he kind of pushed back and said, well, it shows he doesn't know what he's talking about. I think the play here um, is all of these Republicans, they don't know how to attack the front runner without alienating his base. And so the play for DeSantis, at least, is to, to lay in wait and he will um, issue pretty sharp rebuttals, but he's not going to go on the offense against Donald Trump unless Trump goes after him. The, the news that you just mentioned with Casey DeSantis, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if this takes us to the next level because, um, you know, Trump is, you know, certainly it's paradox he's going to rise in the polls among uh, the GOP faithful, but he is vulnerable. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't get indicted by a federal special counsel and not be vulnerable for crying out loud. That's right. Yeah. But going after the wife is, is, is you know, and that's definitely a way to get under DeSantis's skin. I mean, a lot of the times these campaigns are, yes, it's all tactics, but it's also how do I get under my opponent's skin and make them lose their mind and lose their sleep? Um, mm-hmm. uh, how I read a really interesting column from you, article from you about Nikki Haley, who really is working hard. She's doing a ton of town halls and road shows and talking to people. Uh, I'm just wondering, I mean, if, you know, she, as, as we noted, she's at 3% at the latest poll, CBS poll. Um, and, and she's changed how she calibrates herself around Trump so many times. You know, she was one of those new generation, no Trumper types when he was first running in 2016. But then she served under him as U.N. ambassador and defended him and defended Trumpism, left in good graces. Now she's running against him. 
you know, like, will the real Nikki Haley please stand up? Who, what, what do you, who are you actually? Or is this just all cynical posturing to appeal to who she thinks she needs? So I'm not certain. You know, when I spoke with uh, the ambassador, she seemed um, pretty willing to draw contrasts with herself when she said, you know, he thinks January 6th was a beautiful day. I think it was a terrible day. Mm-hmm. And she dinged him on foreign policy and the debt. Yes, and she's strong um, on Ukraine, you know, very strong on Ukraine. Yeah. black but and white that on that. that motivates the Republican base? I, I don't think so. And so my question for um, Haley at this point is, does she have the money on hand and, and is she responsible enough with her burn rate that she can get to August have a moment at the debate stage that really blows up and then sort of get enough of that war chest together so that she actually can survive until South Carolina, which is more favorable ground for her for obvious reasons. But right now, you know, Nikki Haley, she's been out there. She's been hustling. She's been getting to know voters. And the polling that we see now, not just the national polling, the polling at the state level, Mm -hmm. it shows that returns are hard to come by. Wow. That's rough. You know, it was funny. Last week, the news was all about debt ceiling. What do you think about the debt ceiling? Debt ceiling. Now it's like completely done. Nobody cares. It's so <laughs> over. And it made me think in the news, it's so funny how when it's the topic of the week or the topic of the day, it seems like it's make or break. What are they going to say about this? How do they feel about it? This is the biggest thing in the world. Then it goes away. And now, of course, it's all about the indictment. It's make or break. You know, what do they say about this? Do you find that kind of exhausting and and more importantly the voters that you're talking to in these really important primary states of iowa and new hampshire do they care about the topic of the week is that what they're looking for that quick gotcha quote i mean i think i think they're paying attention uh there is a remnant of the tea party that is serious about spending Mm -hmm. and they don't like that donald trump um you know increased the deficit more than any other president in history obviously there was the pandemic but um, that, you know, some of these voters absolutely do care about intricate policy. I think what we're going to see with the indictment is, you know, this is either going to create a martyrdom complex for a lot of these voters who say they're going after the president for not, not a good reason. You know, these folks are not going to read the indictment. Um, maybe they're going to rally around the flag. Um, but, you know, I think, Laura, you, you hit it, right? Like, you get chances to chat with these guys. Yeah. And, yes, you want to ask. A question is going to make news. But do you are you able to take the measure of a candidate or someone who wants to be the leader of the free world based off of how they're going to vote on the debt ceiling? I right. don't know. It's right. telling, but it, it can be frustrating. I'm talking to Phil Wegman, who is White House, although you've been away from the White House. You've been traveling a lot on the hustings uh, for real clear <laughs> politics. Um, we have about two minutes left, and I, I, you could, there's a lot that's been written. There's a lot that's been spouted. There's a lot of chatter going on there. Uh, any interesting anecdotes that maybe hasn't made the press, hasn't made the newspapers or TV Ooh. that you witnessed in either I- Iowa or New Hampshire? Oh, I don't think my editors would be happy with you if I told you all my scoops before I filed. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I won't tell them, I promise. Here's something that I'm watching. I think that... The Republican consulting class and the operatives have all written off Mike Pence. I think that they have looked at the former vice president and they think this guy's toast. Yeah. MAGA, faithful, they're the ones driving the train. They don't like and him. Certainly, and yeah, liberals and hate him. Yeah, right? So he gets it from both sides. Yeah. And there's something to that. But 
Um, Pence has a strong base of support when it comes to evangelicals. Yep. I think that he's going to step on the gas and really uh, push hard. I would not be surprised if he has a you know good showing in Iowa. But the thing that I'm thinking about right now the most is it's almost like pundits and reporters just totally overcorrected. Like they got it wrong in 2016. Okay, fine. We learned that lesson. Mm -hmm. But there's also an arrogance in immediately assuming, you know, there are obvious reasons that he would be the nominee, but there's a kind of an arrogance in assuming that this thing is just done. And, and I think that, you know, if you're a reporter, just guard against some of this projection. You don't, you don't know. And so I'm, I think that this thing is absolutely going to be a contest. I'm curious if Donald Trump actually gets on the debate stage in August. Yeah. And that dynamic is going to be fascinating. This thing is not all sewn up. Yeah. And if he doesn't join his opponents on the debate stage, nobody's really going to care. Nobody's going to watch. And guess what, guys? It's still going to be all about him, no matter yeah, what. That's the truth. <laughs> Phil Wegman of Real Clear Politics, thank you so much. And thanks for covering covering our wonderful democracy. Really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me. You got it. All right. There's been a lot of crypto news. The SEC has lodged some lawsuits. There's some crypto bros, you know, on the lamb. There's a bunch of stuff going on. Uh, is crypto over? Of course, we've got Sam Beckman fried Is it over? Uh, I'm going to speak with Brock Pierce. He was an early crypto adopter. He's a crypto billionaire. And you might have seen him when he was just a boy on Mighty Ducks and the other movie called First Kid, Mighty Ducks and Mighty Ducks 2. Uh, coming up next on Cut to the Chase. Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran on 77 WABC. Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran on 77 WABC.
Jays. Nothing like that song. It gets in my head, and I can't get it out. After all these years, still groovy. All right, we are working on getting Brock Pierce on the line. So I have been really confused uh, about crypto. I don't. I you know what? It's been explained to me so many times. I think I understand it, and then like dust, it just falls apart in my hands and in my brain. I kind of understand blockchain, uh, crypto, and its value. It's money. Uh, kind of like real money, dollar bills that you get, money in the bank, is also, you know, the way it's explained to me is also kind of an illusion. We all just believe that this piece of paper has value. Society reinforces that. Uh, and so, therefore, it does have value. All right, crypto is like that, but more confusing to me. Uh, and you may have seen in the papers this past week that – There's been a lot going on in the crypto world. Big news. The SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission on Tuesday, sued Coinbase. uh, And then that was like a couple of days after they sued another one called Binance uh, and its founder, Changpeng Zhao. So these lawsuits, according to the Wall Street Journal, are really significant moves by the SEC to entirely regulate the whole crypto industry. Uh, And I'm wondering, you know, I'm excited to talk to Brock when we get him on the line to see if he agrees that this needs to be regulated. Uh, I know that he's moved his business to Puerto Rico. The tax situation is a lot better there, we know. Uh, So you may have heard of Brock Pierce. He was an actor as a child. He was in The Mighty Ducks and the sequel Mighty Ducks 2. He was in First Kid which is uh, Kevin Drosh's, one of his favorite movies as a child, starring Sinbad. He's a blockchain pioneer, an investor, a philanthropist. Uh, He's raised more than $5 billion for companies that he's founded. Uh, And he was an early adopter of of cryptocurrency. Ten years ago, when really, who was talking about crypto back then in 2013, he was co-founded a venture capital firm called Blockchain Capital. Uh, which raised a lot of money, millions and millions of dollars. Uh, by Five years later, by 2018, he was named by Forbes as one of the top 20 wealthiest people in crypto. So, uh, Brock, you're on the line. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. It's wonderful to talk to you. So, there's been a lot of news about crypto in the past week, uh, SEC taking action, uh, are you still bullish on cryptocurrency? I absolutely am. The technology is indisputably powerful. Um, though it, it, it's like talking about the internet. Yeah. To say the internet doesn't matter or the internet does is very different than talking about particular applications. And so the applications of the internet, or in this case, cryptocurrency blockchain, as we prefer to call it, is its own thing. And so, yes, this technology is going to be pervasive and world or game changing. Right. So a lot of people, and I'm sure a lot of my listeners, don't really understand how it works. We understand how money works. We all trust that money works. But I think the news in, you know, the news of this past week and also with Sam Bankman-Fried and all of the other sort of quote-unquote scandals that have been going on, 
uh, people, number one, they don't understand it, so they don't trust it. And then they read all this and they're like, well, why should we bother with any of this? It's probably just going to go away. What, what do you say to people like that? Sam Bankman Freed, just like, by the way, the Internet of the 1990s. And by the way, I was the youngest, I think, Internet entrepreneur in the world at 16, 17. I raised $88 million to create what you'd call YouTube and Hulu and Netflix today. We invented the words webisode and everything that you consume your media from. So I say this from a place of knowing and uh, history. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, welcome to being on the front lines. Um, welcome to being uh, in the forefront of innovation. It is filled with uh, challenges. It's welcome to being a pioneer. And Sam, as uh, you call them, Bankman Freed, some would call him fraud or pride <laughs> Freed. Um, he, he did some actual pretty bad things. But, um, you know, it's, uh, I think the important thing to note there is that that was what you'd call centralized finance. He was literally doing the things that are wrong with the financial system today. Mm-hmm. And welcome to the lesson we collectively have to learn, which is that centralized players in the financial system are capable of doing bad things. In his case, almost not regulated versus the highly regulated. But you've seen Signature Bank. You've seen a bunch of the banks going bust, whether it be even Credit Suisse, right? You've been watching the financial system go through its own turmoil. And to say that it's only this thing, whether it be Silicon Valley Bank, we should be deeply concerned about the financial structure and systems in which we all are beholden to. So I'm speaking to Brock Pierce. You're listening to Cut to the Chase. I'm Laura Curran. Uh, so the SEC took some action against Coinbase this past week, and I, I thought the chief legal officer of Coinbase had a very interesting statement in the Wall Street Journal. He said the solution is legislation. Now he's talking about the solution for solving some some of the problems with crypto, especially the legal problems, is legislation that allows fair rules for the road to be developed transparently and applied equally, not litigation. Um, what do you think about the whole idea of government regulating crypto? I mean, government regulating crypto. I mean, it's I mean, the unfortunate reality of regulation is that government or our system of governance has a role to play and regulators. Their job is intended to be, you know, a protector of the people. Though, one of the main arguments that would be made is that our regulators are regulating by enforcement, not by legislation. Our legislative body of government is meant to be writing the laws. And whether it be Gary Gensler, the head of the SEC, it is not as it's intended to be. Our legislators need to step up, be educated, be informed, and write the laws to protect the people. Do you see that happening? I mean, I spend more time, I think, than anyone I know in Congress. I gave a speech two weeks ago in the Senate, three weeks ago in the House, and I am regularly in our Congress educating on a regular basis dozens and dozens and dozens 
of members of Congress. Hmm. And do they understand it? Do you think maybe it's a it's just that they don't understand it? There are other things that they're dealing with, and they're not really embracing this whole idea of regulating crypto because they don't understand it, and they're distracted by other things. I, I, I actually would disagree. Huh. I think that our members of Congress are actually interested in understanding because they care about their duty and job, and they want to understand and learn and how to be effective in their jobs. But obviously, it's hard to know where the world is going and how technology is changing the world around us. And that's where the Gary Genslers, the head of the SEC, are taking advantage of the world in which we live. Congress, I believe, wants to do the right thing. I'm not so sure about our regulators right now. Hmm. So I saw you or you've recently been on Fox Business uh some of our listeners may remember that you ran for president as an independent in 2020. I don't believe you've thrown your hat in the ring for this one. Uh, why did you find it important for you to run for president? Why did you think someone with your background and your knowledge would be a good leader? Well, because I'm a person that cares about our collective well-being. I ran for president in 2020 as a reconnaissance mission to understand how we can create change in the world in which we live. And so that is, you know, I think all we can do, right? Look yourself in the mirror and say, how can I be my best self? How can I make the world around me the best we can make it be? And so I did that in terms of this year, you know, um, I'm uh, well talking to everybody. Yeah. I'm, I'm involved in everything with all sides because I believe there's only one side, and the one side is that we win together or we lose together. There is no other way. You know, you said something very interesting on your Fox Business interview. You said, vote for what you want, not for what you don't want. And I think a lot of the political conversation right now is, what is it that I hate, <laughs> and I'm going to vote against it? Uh, well, that's what I would say. It's, it's, they call it the lesser of two evils. Right. Why would you vote for something you don't want? I think that life is about understanding this concept of living according to your conscience instead of like this idea of voting for what you don't want. So, I, so I believe that the American people need to pick what they actually want and start voting for it. Until we come to that realization, we're going to live, into a, live in a perpetual cycle, a downward spiral of getting what we don't want. Because guess what? You get what you want you, when you finally ask for it. When you finally say, this is what I want. And guess what? Then you get it. Yes. And so, you know, there are some third party folks running. People, or not even third party, but I'm thinking of RFK Jr., Marianne Williamson, now Cornell West, who is very interesting. He's got good sound, soundtrack to his announcement, by the way, uh, throwing their hat in the ring. A lot of people are calling these folks spoilers, uh, that they shouldn't run. What do you say to them since you ran an insurgent campaign yourself? I think that America needs choices. And I think anyone willing to step into the arena and actually say, I've got an opinion. I've got a view, and I want the American people to have a choice. It's best for everyone, and I hope more people step up and step in the ring. And so this concept of spoilers, anytime someone runs, it's a negative. I think the answer is 
America needs choices. I'm tired of red and only blue. And we should have all the choices, all the colors of the rainbow. And, um, and when they say anytime you vote for a third-party candidate, you're throwing your vote away, I'd remind everyone of Jesse Ventura. Yeah. Jesse Ventura said, was given that same example. And everybody in Minnesota, which is where I'm from, I was born in Minnesota, made in Minnesota. And they said, if you vote for him, you're throwing your vote away. And guess what happened? He won. He won. Yeah. He won. He won. Brock, I got one more minute with you. I've got one last question. Are you getting phone calls from candidates, presidential candidates, and their campaigns to kind of educate them about crypto and help them form their policy on it? Uh, much, much more than that. I've been forming policy and dealing with Congress for a long time. The phone calls that I get from candidates on both sides is how can you help me get elected? Uh, yeah. Because I've become a political monster, yeah. a political agent of change. And so it's much more than my crypto policy. It's how do I move mountains for those that wish to get elected into office as someone that cares deeply about our nation and our future. Are you backing any particular candidate right now? I talk to all sides, and I'm trying to see the best in everyone and understand what everyone that wants to run for office to serve us, to serve our country, and to serve us, the people, what they have to offer, and I'm evaluating. I don't make my decisions early because I don't have to. All right, Brock Pierce, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It's really nice to talk to you again. Uh, Crypto entrepreneur, billionaire, actor, former presidential candidate, you got it all going on, and I really appreciate your time. I'm so grateful to talk to you and all your audience. God bless America. God bless America. All right, coming up next, I'm going to speak to Juliet Kinsman and Simon London about how not to lose your mind or your friends when you talk about climate. Laura Curran joining us live. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran on 77 WABC. Welcome back to Cut to the Chase. So when Blame Canada from South Park wasn't stuck in my head this past week. This song by the Ohio Players was. Uh, And I am really excited to introduce my next guest, two journalists, British journalists, uh, Juliet Kinsman and Simon London. The last time we spoke, the three of us together, it was in a pub in London. I believe it was by Hyde Park. uh, And we were enjoying a very civilized pint. And so I'm really happy to have you both on my show. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
So Juliet and Simon have a podcast called Funny Old World. It's a podcast for the eco-curious, and it talks about sustainability in travel. And what I really like about your podcast, Juliet and Simon, is that you take the shame and the blame out of it, and you talk about it like real people without uh, without making people feel like they're doing something wrong or feeling guilty or getting angry. And that's the reason I wanted to have you on the show is because I think it's important to have conversations about climate without losing your mind and without losing your friends. And I would I would suggest to my listeners that your podcast, Funny Old World, is a really good place to start. Thank you. We just try to have conversations that are helpful, I think. Yeah, the conversations that we would have off air than be bringing on, on air. So I'm basically asking Juliet, because I'm not a travel journalist. I don't know about sustainability and things like that, but Juliet does. So I just ask the questions that I feel... The ordinary man or woman in the street would ask. My friend always says with climate, what she tries to do is sort of translate it into black cab, you know, black cab drivers, our iconic little cab cabs. You know, how would a black cab driver feel about the conversation you're having? Yeah. And you know? For Americans, you're not talking about cab drivers who are black. It's a, called a black cab. <laughs> Exactly. Yes, like a yellow cab driver. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's that's absolutely the way to do it. So one one thing that has been a huge topic dominating New York and dominating the headlines across the world are these wildfires in Canada. It's been warmer and drier because of rising temperatures. We had this apocalyptic orange sky. On Wednesday here in New York, it was really bizarre. People had to stay inside. School recess was canceled. Uh, And it just brings to the forefront the climate conversation. Uh, Did did it make big news in London, in England, where you guys are now? It certainly did, actually. And I I was doing a, a talk the next day, and I used that picture of the haze of your iconic Uh, Manhattan skyline obscured by that haze and I think the difference with us well even in the in the UK I did notice with the media they don't always relate it to climate Uh, and it becomes politicized and all these conversations around it become polemic but for for me it's just it is just basic science you need to understand the why there's why we're having these extreme weather sort of symptoms such as wildfires Um, yeah. yeah and I think as well that interestingly for me, is uh, I, my wife is obsessed with The Crown and basically just binged it in like <laughs> few days. And there was, I remember there was an episode in the very first series about the smog. Do you remember the London, London smog? And everybody was getting sort of, nobody there went, this sounds a bit made up. There was a complete a direct correlation and everybody sort of just accepted it. And I felt that this was a sort of 21st century crown smog moment that we could all get behind you mean people just said it's obviously coming from the pipes uh, all, all the chimneys burning all yeah. the coal yeah they made the direct it yeah, didn't no, become you, a debate no it didn't become a debate <laughs> yeah. yeah that's true yeah so uh i think we took it pretty seriously and i think it's a shame because when we have all it's just science i mean that's what we look at with climate we really just try and explain what's going on. We don't have an agenda other than I always imagine just climate sitting in the room with us going, can you help me out and help people (laughs) explain this? Well, I've read when it comes to wildfires, you know, there was a big piece, I believe it was in the New York Times saying, you know, this is something that we need to get used to because there will probably be more of this. Uh, And that's something that's really concerning. And it's just a fact that it happened. I mean, you can't argue with the fact that this is happening because things are drier and hotter. 
Absolutely. And there's no probably about it. I always say every time you turn on the news, if you see, you know, extreme weather, it is, of course, we have much more media coverage in the world of everything. But there's, um, there's just so many different anomalies and strange things happening. Uh, I had a call with someone from Fiji this week, and I didn't even know they had a cyclone there two years ago. Houses washed away. And I worry that we're becoming a little bit desensitized, actually, to all these all these extreme weather occurrences. I think as well that if you're having these things happen, whatever side of the political divide you, you're on, you must kind of be worried about the immediate effect of what's going on. I, I, I love this cartoon I once saw of um, just two people sat down and one of them saying, but what if we change our behaviour for the better and make the world a better place and we turn out to be wrong? <laughs> <laughs> and I sort of think that's what we need to keep in the back of our heads. What if we're wrong, but hey, we managed to make the world a better place and a nicer place? That's not a bad outcome, is it? I'm speaking with Juliet Kinsman and Simon London, hosts of the podcast Funny Old World. So this is a larger conversation, and you just pointed to that, Simon and Juliet, about how our world is very divided right now along political lines. It seems to be coming more and more so. So you must have conversations. You guys were just in South Africa uh, talking about climate. Uh, you are out and about. You talk to people all the time. How do you have this conversation? And it could be about climate. It could really be about anything. How do you have a conversation with someone who disagrees with you, sometimes really, really strongly, in a way that could end a friendship or turn a relationship sour? How do you have a conversation about something like this in a way that you don't lose your friends? And I think we... Yeah, I think it's just all about listening. I think we always have to be really respectful listeners and appreciate we all have different perspectives. Um, I tend to try and focus on on the facts also, and I'm really open to everyone's perspectives, and I think we need to have conversations where the information we're sharing is relatable. So you just mentioned we went to South Africa, and, you know, the fact is there are, there are, there are 54 countries in, in the whole continent of Africa. And collectively, all of those countries contribute only 4% to global emissions when it comes to CO2 emissions. Wow. Which seems re- really unfair, right? Wow. So all of those, that's a quarter of the world's countries, 100 and, 195 countries in the world. And I just, the, the UN has said that, um, you know, the, obviously we know they're the most vulnerable to extreme weather, the continent's heating up. Um, but what is is holding them back is that they need, you know, they need more um, financial investment to, to bring them up to the socio socioeconomic level to deal with this extreme weather. So that's just fact. That's not my agenda. That's not my opinion. That is just looking at at, at the numbers. You know, something yeah, you said I, in your podcast, Juliet, that I thought was very interesting was, you know. Talking science and data and numbers and facts are all very interesting, but we're humans, and what really is more persuasive than anything is telling a story. And as journalists, that's what you do. You tell stories. Simon? Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. If you're able to give well, – I don't think it sort of needs to be, all be anecdotal evidence, but if you can bring it back down to something – I mean, just like I did there about the crown. We mm-hmm. sort of talked about the crown and the smog and – Everybody remembers that, and I'm sure everybody watched it, nodding, going, oh, how terrible, and everything else. And then if you can equate something to uh, something that people find relatable, then I think that you're halfway there. Another thing as well is I think it's okay, and I think it's healthy to have discussions amongst friends who take a, a different point of view. Oh, I and- love doing that. I think it's it's also you learn. You you hone your <laughs> your debating skills, but you also 
maybe we'll learn something new. Definitely. And that's what it's all about. You need to kind of, you need to expand your circle of friends. You need to expand. You need to get out of your echo chambers. You need to read different material, not where sort of, not where you're reading something that's consistently hitting you over the head with stuff that you might feel is damaging your mental health, say. But I think that if you're able to kind of take a position and argue it and sort of talk about something and go, this might be interesting, I think that's always good fun. It's a great dinner party game anyway. Yeah, exactly. And it's good practice not losing your mind. So um, I have to say, I was in London, as I mentioned. We had that wonderful time at the pub. And London, it feels to me, you know how like a city is is a like a person and they have their good phases and their bad phases and their ups and their downs. I feel like London right now is on such a high, especially compared to American cities. And I don't want to disparage New York. I love New York. I will always love New York. Um, L.A., San Francisco, but London just feels like it's got its act together. It, it's clean. It's fun. It's bright. Um, and we just have one minute left. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, just... Thank you. I can't. I mean, all I will say about London, obviously, you, you, you had a charmed few days that the sun was shining, um, is that London is fantastically multicultural and we really celebrate that. And where we're sitting right now in Notting Hill, which is West London, everyone will know Notting Hill from the movie, perhaps. Oh, yeah. um, you know, I can turn around a corner and you've got the Portuguese delis, the Moroccan uh, shops, which of course you have also in New York. But I think people underestimate just how wonderfully multicultural. Look at our prime minister, look at our mayor. Yeah. Um, we have a really multicultural city. I love that. Yeah. And without making I, a big I mean, deal about it. just It just sort of is. Simon? Yeah, it just sort of happens. And, um, yeah, like Juliet said, you were here and it was sunny and everything else. And that always makes things seem better. But I want you to know that we talked to the landlord of the pub and you you are no longer barred when you come back. <laughs> <laughs> I did embarrass myself, I know. Don't, don't, don't tell anyone. It's <laughs> I want people to have a nice impression of me. <laughs> well, guys, have a pint for me. I miss you, and I can't wait to come back. And thank you so much for joining me on Cut to the Chase. Thanks so much. Thank you. Cheers, Laura. Cheers. That was Juliet Kinsman and Simon London. Check out their podcast, Funny Old World. I think you'll like it. Back next with your calls, we got Jim Patrick, Joe, and Rick on the line. Hold on. I'm coming for you. Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran on 77 WABC. Hello and welcome back. We got three minutes, so I want to get to as many calls as possible. Jim in Yonkers, you're first. How are you doing, Laura? I'm uh, great. I'd just like to know. Great, great. Uh, let me show. I just Thanks. want to know with an election so critical as this, why isn't more attention being paid to getting rid of mail-in voting and ballot harvesting? Without that, we are going to be a much better – we're going to have a much better election. Well, I think it's really important that people trust the electoral system, whatever form it takes. And unfortunately right now, that trust seems to be at an all-time low. Jim, thanks for your call. Patrick, calling from Indiana. Wow, that's cool. Are you listening on the app? Yes. All right. Heading straight Cutting straight to the chase, I think <laughs> anyone who has access to President Trump 
must tell him that he needs to go to uh, Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House, and tell him under Article 3, Section 3 of the Constitution, he is duty-bound to bring charges against Joe Biden for treason and against uh, uh, Kamala Harris for high crimes and misdemeanors under Article 2, Section 4. Patrick, I'm wondering if those conversations are going on, and perhaps we don't know it yet, but we will stay tuned. Thanks so much for the call, and thanks for listening in Indiana. Joe in Jericho, what do you got? Hey, Lauren. First of all, you had the Monsignor on a few weeks ago. How yes. You went to his parish, and it was very beautiful, you said. And a few weeks, a couple weeks before, you had the nurse who takes about to save life, and she's given a step-by-step about abortion. But she should have mentioned, and your colleague, Richard, uh, Dick Morris, voted weeks ago, months ago, an artificial electronic incubative womb where the baby was taken out at any age, and it grows up in the artificial womb, and it grows strong, and then it's placed in a loving home. Wow. That sounds like science fiction, but it's but maybe it's happening. Did you want to talk about the Trump indictment, Joe? What? The Trump indictment? No. The Trump indictment is uh, trumped up. Trump is no altar boy, accolade officer, or choir boy. But <laughs> Speaking of Monsignor Lissant. He's cleaner than Biden's, and he should take um, DeSantis as his running mate. DeSantis is a war hero, a family man, no scandals. He helps the veterans in Florida. He's like a great vice president, and uh, Trump should smarten up and stop. Well, let's see if people. they can b- bury the hatchet. Thanks, Joe. Rick Elmwood Park, I think we got uh, 30 seconds or less. Yeah, 30 Hi, seconds. Lord, really Hi. call me after the show if you want the climate science facts, but I'll tell you real quick. CO2 doesn't control the temperature of the earth. Temperatures have been falling since 2016, according to NASA, GIS, BEST, HADCRA, UAH, and RSS satellites. Wow. Um, also, extreme weather events are increasing. We just broke a hurricane record uh, that was set back in 1860 to 1869. We beat it by three years, 2005 to 2017. Well, I'm going to look that up. This sounds very interesting. This is a conversation that is not going away. Rick, I appreciate that you called, and please call back. And now you're going to have some positive news. You went from Roger Stone to Laura Curran to Ernie and Patricia. I think it's a great way to wind up your weekend and start your week. So it's Positively Ernie and Patricia with Ernie Anastas and Patricia Stark coming up next here on WABC. Thanks for listening.